I'm Hannah. And I'm Matt Hannah. And this is Horror Hour with the Hannahs. Where we talk about our favorite scary scenes in other non-horror movies. <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, Matt said it. This week we are not talking about horror movies per se, but we are going to be talking about our favorite horror mo- moments in non-horror movies. So we're going to kind of piece apart three non-horror movies and the scenes that have a lot of horror and terror in them and why they are so successful in the greater landscape of the film. Yep. I don't know. You said everything. (laughs) So first, before we dive too far into this, what makes something horror? I feel like it's the primary question we kind of have to ask. There's another podcast for this. Yeah, there is a podcast called Is It Horror? Check out our friends over there. We've done a collab with them. Uh, I mean, if something is horror, there's so many different types of horror and things in the horror genre, which is, I guess, part of the reason we have this podcast is you'll have people be like, I don't like horror movies. And I'm like, all of them? That's like saying, I don't like the Beatles. Like, you got 10 different genres within that genre. Yeah. Right? That is true. <laughs> um, so, like, it's hard to define because, yeah, you do have something that the easiest way is something that scares you or makes you uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. But, like, I consider a lot of thrillers horror. Like, I love the movie Seven. And guess what? I call that movie. That that fits in horror because it scares me out of how real it is or how uh, or how real it could be, I guess. Yeah. I think when having this discussion, it's important to consider that art is arbitrary. Like, There are no strict rules or definitions when it comes to art. No, the YouTube critics told me art is objective. Cinema sins. (laughs) (laughs) Really warped our brains, huh? There's like a whole generation of people who can't process. Because of cinema sins. I'm sorry, Jeremy. Your stuff was entertaining until... I'm still entertained. I'm not going to lie. I just like also have... Greater processing skills. The issue I think that happened was it was like a joke at first and it became like almost a parody of itself. So then it almost became like real criticism when initially it was all supposed to be like joke criticism. Yeah. So it just like it it outgrew itself almost. So I don't know. I don't follow. I don't subscribe anymore. Well, for the purpose of this episode, Merriam-Webster defines horror as painful and intense fear, dread, or dismay. The Dictionary of Film Studies defines the horror film as representing disturbing and dark subject matter, seeking to elicit responses of fear, terror, disgust, shock, suspense, and, of course, horror from their viewers. All of those are different genres within within the horror genre. Yeah, I think it's important to consider, like, terror... And disgust can be very, very different things. Or it could be the Texas Chainsaw Massacre where you get both. I get more disgust from that than anything versus like I watch other things and I'm just purely shocked. Yeah, yeah. you're a big suspense girl. I am a big suspense girl. You like suspense. So why do you think in like a broader sense it can be helpful to have – what we could define using those definitions of horror in a movie that's not an overall horror film. Well, I have long said that the best movies out there are movies that don't fit into any category or any genre. I feel like they just get thrown into drama because like, that's what it is. But like, I feel like all of a lot of my favorite movies, I shouldn't say all, but a lot of my favorite movies are genre blenders. They're like a little bit of everything. So I think horror can be used 
anywhere, right? Because like it can just elicit emotion that a director would like to elicit, even if the movie is not solely designed to just be a horror. But like having those elements, and I think we'll talk about it in some of these, can enhance your viewing or enhance the feelings you have about the movie and make you feel a certain way so that their message gets across in another part of the movie. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I rambled too much there. You started to. I, I lost the thread. Oh, my bad. No, it made sense. I think sense. I just repeated myself. No, it, it made sense. I totally agree, too, with what you were saying, that a lot of my favorite films are a blend of those elements. We were talking the other day, for example, about Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. We were like, what, what the you, fuck genre would this it's be? It's a rom-a, comedy comedy. excuse me. comedy, drama, sci-fi... A little bit of horror, a little psychological horror, if you Yeah, a little meta trippiness in there. Like, w- like what is that? Yeah. So, again, genre is just so arbitrary. It's just a movie. It's just a piece of art, but... Or the movie Superbad, which is so much more than a stoner comedy. One of my favorite movies of all time, right there. Yeah. Come on. It's a coming-of-age story about love and your bros, but it's also very funny. It's also about... There's a lot of, I think, gender role kind of discussion in that about how men are not allowed to Well, now to you're just getting love. into themes. Yeah. Well, I just meant with that. That's part of it, though. It's more than, that's what I'm saying. It's more than just a comedy. Yeah. So yeah. we're going to start by talking about Jurassic Park. Surprise to no one. <laughs> Everyone has heard of Jurassic Park. We all know it. But to give some background. Has anyone not seen Jurassic Park? Feels like a pretty formative movie. Well, we had friends the other day who hadn't seen Jaws. Oh, that was upsetting. And I watched all of it because of that. Jaws is horror. We're going to say it. It's a really good... It's a genre blender, but it's really good. I think Jurassic Park could... I could argue it being... After watching it for this episode, I was like, we could probably cover Jurassic Park as as a horror. Yeah. Or just like horror I wouldn't say it's not the first or second or maybe even third genre I would go with, but it's in the... Top four. <laughs> yeah, you could lie. You could tell somebody it's horror. Yeah, but Jurassic Park, 1993, science fiction action adventure film, directed by Steven Spielberg, starring Sam Neill, Laura Dern, Jeff Goldblum, and Richard Attenborough. It's based on Michael Crichton's 1990 novel of the same name, with a screenplay by Crichton and David Cope. Cop? I don't know how to pronounce it. My bad. K O E P P. Amateur Doesn't hour. There should be an N in there. Okay, like, nope. I, I don't think anyone needs um, a back-of-the-box synopsis for it's this. It's Jurassic Park. They're well, dinosaurs. Well, when a wealthy businessman, John Hammond, and a team of genetic scientists have created a wildlife park of de-extinct dinosaurs, and an industrial sabotage leads to a cat- catastrophic shutdown of the park's power facilities, a small group of visitors, including Hammond's grandchildren, struggle to survive and escape the now perilous island. AKA, like, this is just one of the best movies of all time. Whoa, whoa. It's really good. But come on. It's not even, like, probably not even, like, a top five for Spielberg. It's my top five (laughs) movies of all time. Is that that insane for me to say? To me, yeah. Spielberg is just, like, the... Yeah. I've I've watched Jaws and this back-to-back, basically. the man. I love this movie with my heart. Nobody does it like him, and nobody ever will ever do it like him. Like, I have so many things. We need a Spielberg. Well, War of the Worlds. We have a Spielberg horror movie that we can do at some point. I like it. Tom Cruise, Spielberg. Mm. They did two movies together. They both I did. watched Minority them recently Report. enough. I don't need to watch it again. <laughs> 
That movie it's scared good, the shit out of me as a kid. It, no, this scared me more. Really? Okay. Right. Well, I saw Jurassic Park for the first time when I was like four. Yeah, it's like, it's formative. It was formative. Yeah, before we even talk about what's scary about this, can I say I have dinosaur Jurassic Park nightmares to this day? I had a dream like a week ago, right after my wisdom tooth surgery, that I was being chased by a dinosaur. <laughs> yeah, I have them the consistently. Before. I don't know if it's from this. I don't know if it's from Oh, it's 100% from this. I mean, it has to be. But I, I don't think of the Jurassic World movies at all. And I don't. No. maybe I think of the second movie, Lost World, a little bit. And maybe the third as well. But like, yeah, I have, I have specifically Jurassic Park nightmares. Yes. Still. The first three movies were very formative for my childhood. But yes. we all know that the first one is the only one that's like a 10 out of 10. Yeah, it's the only one but, worth watching. I would say. I love them all. But. Uh, I just want to talk about Jurassic Park. There are so many scenes we could talk about. And we're talking about horror scenes in Jurassic Park. Which is why I think you could justify giving it the classification of horror. Matt and I were trying to discuss like what scenes we wanted to break down. And we named like four scenes in total. So. We'll just do them. And then talk about them. Might as well just mention the first scene in the movie. Yeah. It, what it happens is, in the first scene of the movie? Give us a synopsis. Okay. I want to I want to think about how it's set up because when you watch it after seeing it before it like changes your brain a little. But you know going into this it's a dinosaur movie, right? Cuz it's Jurassic Park. I said give There's me a synopsis. Be I am. No, no, of the I'm, first scene of I the am, movie. I am. I am. But I want to say the first opening shot is a bunch of trees and a giant like they're like palm trees or something swaying. And like a giant construct behind them coming towards you. You're going to think it's a dinosaur, but instead it's just a big machine. And I love that. It's like the, like the leaves it's, rustling. It's the leaves rustling. Like yeah. something's in and there. then a dude is dropping basically a raptor in a cage. You don't really see the raptor at all. They kind of show it as they are releasing it into its pen by lifting the door. The raptor runs and hits the back wall. The guy with the door falls and immediately gets grabbed. By the mm-hmm. raptor, and you basically just see half of his body as the lower half is ripped up and pulled in with one of our later main characters basically yelling, shoot her, and they refuse to shoot the raptor, and the guy gets eight. Extremely tense opening to a movie. Yeah, that's why I wanted to give the... I, <laughs> We're not going to dive too deep into this, but it's such it a, deserves it, a huge shout out. It sets out. everything up to be like, oh yeah, this place is unsafe immediately. Dinosaurs are scary. Not good. And like, something this movie does really well is being very deliberate about when they're going to show a dinosaur or not. Mm-hmm. In a movie about dinosaurs, we don't get a dinosaur for like a half hour. We see just the eyes of the raptor, really. Yeah, that's it. We yeah, don't pretty much. It's scary that way. I've seen a raptor because I've seen this movie. Yeah. but had I not, well, if I didn't go in knowing, like you don't get enough would, of a full picture. I would say of what Spielberg it looks like. learned a very valuable lesson with Jaws. Which was an accidental lesson of that not showing the threat is almost always scarier. Mm-hmm. At least to set it up. So by not showing the raptor and really just showing this dude getting absolutely manhandled and thrown up around that is very scary. Also, like, whoever that actor was, probably kind of B-lister, no idea who he was, was screaming his ass off and seemed like an actual blue-collar <laughs> dinosaur worker that was terrified. It really just was effective and I think really sets the stage for the movie. When we talk about, like, withholding imagery of the main monster or bad guy or whatnot, Mm -hmm. we can even see just, like, how successful that is in a more modern example, A Quiet Place. 
Yeah. We don't, that shit is way scarier before we see it. Once you see it, it's kind of lame because every like creature in the past 10 years has looked like that. Every creature <laughs> is kind of unscary. Insidious, the lipstick demon, yeah. the least hey, scary shit I've ever seen. But shark, it's so scary up until then. The shark from Jaws is still scary when you see it. And but to boy, be fair, oh boy, those yellow barrels work. The dinosaurs still scary once yes. you see them. But there is just something about the art of not showing it. It yep. increases the threat so much. So the first scene we're going to actually dive into, because Matt wanted to talk about that as an honorable mention scene. Yes. Oh, sorry. That was too much then. Our first big scene is going to be the T-Rex scene. So, again, we're just assuming you've seen this one, but essentially they're taking a tour of the park. The cars stop and get stuck in front of the T-Rex Which we didn't see earlier because it wouldn't come out to eat the goat. So what I think works so well, like you just said, is it takes a while in the scene, again, to see the T-Rex. It's a very intentional, slow setup in this scene. It's pouring rain. The cars stop. It's pouring rain. We're seeing the characters interact with one another in their separate cars. We have this setup that the kids are not with the experts. They're not with the good people. They're with a lawyer who doesn't care about anyone but himself. So that is just set up regardless of the dinosaurs. Then... When it comes to the dinosaur, we see Timmy looking at the enclosure with his night vision goggles and noticing the goat is gone. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and we haven't seen anything yet. And then is this where the the pound the water starts to I believe ripple? that is when we see the water ripple. Then he looks up and he sees uh I think he sees, like, part of the goat being the taken le- or something with the night vision goggles. I'm not sure. But then the, the leg, leg lands is, in the car. The bloody leg is flung on the car. Then we see a T-Rex arm touching the fence. Which was electrified. Which is also a beautiful show-not-tell because we have learned the fence is no longer electrified. Mm-hmm. So not only do we have this increased tension of we're about to see the big bad that we haven't seen, how scary is this motherfucker going to look, but we also have the tension of, oh shit, now we have learned he is not stuck behind this fence. Yes. And then we see the T-Rex. Like, there's all these small little, little shots things. that, like, build up to finally seeing Yeah, I think the, the water ripple is extremely famous, and they use it throughout the movie, because now you know what it signifies. It's, like, the real danger. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that happens it, later in a puddle. When in the puddle, yes. End. Yeah. It, I'm trying to explain why it so, works so well, I guess, as, as being scary. Um, I think it's because we've only seen, like, we've seen these big dinosaurs. We know they're out there, and everyone knows, like, what a T-Rex is, right? And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, this thing is enormous. It's a threat. Immediately the children are abandoned and start fucking around with a light. Well, <laughs> and I, and lose I think my that's, goddamn that's two separate points. First, the children are split from the adults who know better. Yeah. So you know the kids don't know better. And then we have the shot of Alan saying to his car, stay still. Their vision is based oh. off movement. And then it cuts to the kids who are alone in the car flashing a light. Yeah. So it's like this perfect setup. And there's a lot of moments of that in this movie where there'll be like one setup line and immediately the next shot later you're like, oh, fuck. I also want to compliment. I I noticed her at this movie. It was the first time I've really tried to separate the scenes. But they used both practical 
and CGI in this, and they actually intercut between the two, which gives more weight, I think, to the CGI shots because my brain doesn't notice that it's computer generated immediately because I did just see the physical, tangible T-Rex, mm-hmm. right, or T-Rex animatronic, and boy, oh boy, does it look good. It looks so um, good. Yeah, I, it, I think it just like kind of hits on that primal fears of like being abandoned and being hunted, which like we're not used to being hunted, right? Like, yeah, we are the predator. But now we're we become the prey in this scene, especially with the kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you get kind of claustrophobia of the car being crushed, which a quiet place, as you mentioned, like took inspiration mm-hmm. from that exact scene of the T Rex like over the glass. Um, oh, is it, you mean the the uh, when they're in the silo? yeah when they're in the yeah. silo? It's very similar. Mm-hmm. Um, this scene just works so well too because you sit with the threat for a really long time. Yeah, and you think you're just safe in your car. Mm-hmm. Like it's like it, me. I'm just sitting in the car. I'm not going anywhere. Yeah, I'm sitting in the car. <laughs> I I mean I even feel like that when I'm like nervous somewhere. I like yeah. go sit in the car and lock the door. Once the door is locked, I'm fine. But is oh. am I really no, any any person can come up with a yeah. bat or a gun and shoot through my window. The the glass is not protecting yeah. me. Any dinosaur can I, pop out of nowhere and step on my car. <laughs> they also then have the lawyer get killed in an instant, basically, which then establishes the threat of, oh, if you're caught, it's instant death. Mm-hmm. Right, by this thing. I think that's where the fear comes from. Just fear of dying. If you're getting eaten, that's a that's even scarier than dying. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't know if I have too much more to say about this scene. I just like I think everyone knows it. I I don't know how to explain why it's so scary, other than his big fucking dinosaur, <laughs> shark teeth. I feel like I did a decent yeah. job. With same, same reason the you're scared of sharks. Of reasons I listed. Yeah, yeah, you you took care of it. All right, you want to go to the next one? I hope you're ready to break down some of these scenes okay. like this, bitch. I'm ready. I had, I had All right. So I know we want to talk about the raptors. Yeah, they do a cool job of not showing the raptors until like 30 minutes are left in the movie. And then they become the biggest threat. Because we've been, we've been, or we knew that they were going to be like the biggest threat. Well, the first scene of the movie sets them off as, as the, the biggest, biggest threat. threat. And then they, eat, they, they eat a cow in like two seconds and we don't see it. Yeah. So we don't see it until finally, I think, is the scene where they're going to turn the power back on. And Muldoon. What's his name? Muldoon. Muldoon. I never forget his name. Is like, we're being hunted. And immediately figures it out. And they have this really, I want to call it Raimi-esque. I mean, Spielberg likes to move the camera. But shot of Laura Dern sprinting to the um, The door, door, basically. And the camera kind of follows behind her, almost giving like a sense of her being chased. Mm Mm-hmm. For her, it happens later too when she runs out of the door. And that's why I'm calling it Raimi-esque is like the camera following them. Um, and it is just crafted so well because, and maybe it's because Laura Dern's just a badass actress and like Fucking she like has her. like some fear in her eyes and he's telling her just run mm-hmm. and she takes off to try to get there and you don't know where the threat is. And I think that's where the nightmares I have actually come from are the ideas of just running and not knowing where the raptors mm-hmm. are. Um, yeah, really cool scene. And then obviously kind of similar thing happens where she is chased out, outside by one. She's limping and the flashlight's getting dragged behind her. Not a flashlight. Uh, some kind of technology. Walkie-talkies, I think. Um, yeah, and I think Spielberg's just the man and like moves the camera in a way that makes me feel like it's just on the Laura Dern's heels. So I want to talk specifically when it comes to the Raptors about the kitchen scene because I think the kitchen scene is the most horrific <laughs> moment in any single Jurassic Park, Jurassic World movie. I think it's yeah, I agree with One you. of the most horrifying scenes that you could have shown a four-year-old. 
Like, I don't know how this is my the dad actual, felt cool with that. This is the most horror-esque scene yes. of all. I think everything else leads up to it. I think there are, like, moments, but this one feels like a slasher, like, or like a, a, a Michael Myers tracking someone down, except this is even more of a mindless killing machine than Michael Myers is. It really does feel like a serial killer, like a man two of them. following their victim. Yes. So what I think is fun is this scene really starts with the kids feeling safe like they're indoors they endured this like night out they're eating with their jello. alan they finally made it back they're eating their jello they're indoors which is supposed to be safe right yes. from the dinosaurs and they're interrupted with their snackies by the shadow we don't even see it just the shadow of the velociraptor they obviously run away into the kitchen and we have a scene right before this where Laura Dern and Sam Neill, uh, Alan and Ellie, are talking about how many velociraptors have escaped their enclosure. And they're like, well, it should be fine because they don't know how to open it, it's doors. There's two unless they learn how to open doors. Yes. <laughs> and it immediately goes from, unless they've learned, out, learned how to open doors. To a raptor to opening a raptor a door. <laughs> opening a door to the room where the kids have just ran to. Again, we've talked on this podcast a ton of times just about how threatening it is when the horror is being faced by children, when they are oh, the victims. Yeah. And these kids are already beat up. They they're have bruised, been they're fucking through it. I mean, uh, Tim died. Yeah, Timmy did he, die. He Tim, got yeah. literal CPR to be <laughs> resuscitated after being shocked by a fence. He does. He's also been stuck in a car in a tree. This man does not need this shit. Yeah, they really did not touch on the PTSD that Tim is going to endure after yeah. this movie. <laughs> well, they're all going to have severe trauma, but Timmy really has just gotten the brunt of it. Yeah, for this real. This poor kid has been such a trooper. And his parents are getting divorced. Oh shit! How many how many marks does he hit on that? Uh, yeah, he's got a lot of adverse childhood experiences, yeah. <laughs> I guess. I'm not sure dinosaur attack is on there, but there's some sort of physical assault. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, this this poor kid goes from peace to danger in a heartbeat. He goes from, I'm safe behind this wall because dinosaurs can't open doors, to, oh, yes, dinosaurs can open doors. And then they just get, like, stalked by, and it's it just yes. this, this fear of, it's like they're playing hide and seek with someone that's going to kill them. It's already been set up throughout this movie how smart the raptors are. Especially we just one. had Muldoon 2 being yeah. attacked by not the one that he was looking at, by two that came out on the side. So Clever girl. It's especially intimidating now that we get this scene with children knowing how smart they are. Some of the noises they make. Oof. The noises in this scene is also brilliant. Between their dinosaur noises, which are scary, but also the tapping of the toenail on the floor. <laughs> the toenail, the claw. We call <laughs> the those toenail. claws. <laughs> it's the toenail. Actually, if they were birds, it's really talons. It is basically a talon or a toenail, yeah. apparently. That's what I wrote in my notes because I'm a fucking idiot. But <laughs> the tapping of t the talon on the floor, for some reason, is the most unsettling thing in the entire world. To you. <laughs> Yeah, I don't like tappy noise, but I think it's also because it's like, even their fucking feet are a weapon. Yeah. <laughs> Look at that shit. That's a knife well, attached to his foot. Yep. Yeah, and then they're basically stalked through the kitchen, which I think is like this just scary moment of hide and seek. 
and them and of course they like bang into stuff it goes full-on like slasher movie except they're actual dumb kids and of course, away. the camera is basically placed to show you how close the monster versus is, the yeah. child is. I, and, and the kids are separated for a little bit, where Lex has to then, like, bang shit to get them away from Timmy. Mm-hmm. And just the thought of them being separated again is horrifying, because last time they were separated, Tim was stuck in a car that fell into a tree. It's honestly brilliant. It's, yeah, it's a very good scene. And then about smarting them and getting out, but threat is not over. The raptors are still scary. I, I also think the design plays a big part. They got these razor sharp teeth. They do another cool combination of CGI and practical to really give them like weight and make them feel alive. And they feel like a threat that if you were caught by them, you're not only going to die, but you're going to die in agony. And I think that is probably where my fear comes from Jurassic Park. Mm -hmm. It's not about death. It's about being eaten. And, oh, Sam Neill even says at the beginning that you're going to be alive while they eat you, basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He tells that kid. I love that Um, scene so much. And like I said, the nightmares I have are not usually the T-Rex. The nightmares I have are raptors. And I must really come from this design that Spielberg came up with. Why do you feel like this movie benefits from these horror elements? Bro, you got to have the scenes? threat of dinos. That is the movie. That's what I'm saying. This almost could be a horror movie. Mm-hmm. This movie was about a lot of things, but like a big part of it is this danger and this like traumatic event that the characters have to survive. So without it being scary, you wouldn't put yourself in their shoes the same way. You wouldn't feel the same threats that they feel. It's also, I think, they're, you're, we're, we're going to take this wonderful thing. Like, they are overwhelmed to see the uh, Brachiosaurus. Yes. The beginning. Um, and it's like a childhood dream come true, I think, for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, let's take this really happy moment, almost euphoric moment, and then rip it away with just, like, that absolute horror of the predators and forgetting the fact that if we were around during dinosaurs, we would not be the apex predator. I think it's also instrumental to like the overall theme of the movie there are multiple themes to this movie that's why we could do a four-hour episode on this movie but one of the themes which is pretty evident is like don't play god like these are forces outside of what you know or understand so don't act like you understand them or are better than them yeah it's like just because he has money he thinks that he he can can do whatever he he wants. wants yeah well a lot of people with money think that and so i think showing the horror it, it's pretty important to show him the error of his ways. But Elon Musk probably watched this movie and was like, I could do that. I'm going to do I, I love John Hammond. I could grow up to, to be, be like To be fair, him. I watched this movie and I'm also like, I need to get some amber. With oh, a I believed, in it. 100% <laughs> believed that, that this could work. The science makes so much sense in the movie. Stegosauruses <laughs> could only move at like a speed of like maybe seven miles per hour. So I still feel okay with that. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> that's why spike in the land before time is the slow one ah uh, makes sense because he would have been slow just a different kind of slow <laughs> so i think we could move on to a different yeah, we sp- movie we spent 25 minutes on my dress well Park. we knew we would talk about that there's a lot of scenes yeah we knew we All would right. talk about that the most so the what's other our next two we won't talk about quite as much the next movie we're going to talk about is spider-man 2 again i think we all know who Spider-Man is, but Spider-Man 2 is from the original film trilogy. It's it's called two. the Raimi trilogy. It's Anna. the sequel. <laughs> so it's a 2004 superhero film directed by Sam Raimi, starring Tobey Maguire as Peter Parker and Spider-Man. 
alongside Kirsten Dunst, James Franco, and Alfred Molina playing Doc right. Ock. I need to I need to jump in, and I am not being hyperbolic. It is the best superhero movie ever made. We've said that on a different episode. Yeah, too. It, I have. I have. <laughs> uh, we've we've you know we've done the MCU thing. I've gone back. And I love, there are plenty of superhero movies I like, and I think that are close to this one. I do not think there has been a better superhero movie ever made than Spider-Man 2. I don't think there's ever been a better I told you so moment for me either. Oh, I know. I had to learn. I had to, I had to, yeah. I think we started dating at 18 and I was like, oh, Matt, Spider-Man 2 is the best superhero movie. Yeah, no, you're right. And then you were like. Hey, I love The the Incredibles. The Incredibles I'd put up there. Uh, The Batman I love, but Spider-Man 2, is, maybe it's just the most perfect of all of them. It is, it's wonderful. The chocolate cake scene. If you know, if you know, you know. <laughs> so this movie is about Peter Parker, obviously, struggling to stop scientist Dr. Otto Octavius from recreating the dangerous experiment that killed his wife and left him neurologically fused to mechanical tentacles, while also dealing with his own existential crisis. The specific scene we're going to talk about is the hospital scene. During this scene, doctors prepare to surgically remove Doc Ock's arms. Um, and without the inhibitor chip working, the tentacles have become sentient and defend themselves. Yeah, and I mean, it is it is a horror scene because Sam Raimi is a horror director and said, I want to make a monster horror scene. And that's exactly what he did. And it's like very, uh, the tonal shift is kind of cool. I mean, the whole movie's wacky and has like the Ramiisms in it. Um, but without, this scene. What? Without breaking the scene down at all, I'm just going to say, I saw this in theaters when I was eight. And um, my brother would have been six and started crying. <laughs> so he was scared and I had to leave theaters and sit with him in the hallway. You were allowed to see this at eight? These are like PG-13 movies. I was with my dad. Yeah. It's not like I'm I- not surprised by that, I guess. Yeah, my dad's- These are pretty violent for <laughs> like a six-year-old. Um, down the road, well, I don't think we went in like, oh, there's gonna be this literal horror, horror scene in the first Fine. 30 The first minutes. one was violent too, though. I don't know. Again, my dad's not the right. best <laughs> judge of- anything but um because that scene is so fucking horrifying not only did age six noah have a problem we then got this movie on dvd and i tried to watch it like a year or two later and my brother flipped out and broke the dvd in half so i owned like, like three copies of this movie because someone kept sabotaging well <laughs> because this scene the whole scene it's not long it's like two minutes long but yeah. it's basically just a bunch of doctors getting like brutally murdered by scary metal arms um, while they all – and it's also set up with them immediately getting like saws and stuff out to cut the arms. So now you got blades that are involved and so there's this fear of like knives and being cut, which like being stabbed is a yeah. big fear I have. Well, I mean so the um. scene opens basically with like him in the middle. You see the whole scope of the room because these are huge tentacle yeah. arm thingies stretched across the room so you see the whole scope of who's in the room how big the space is how big the arms are etc then you see the chainsaws the knives all that jazz so i think that the setup 
is there and deliberate to show you all of that. The first, like, actual piece of horror that we get here is when the doctor goes to do something and he sees the arm moving behind him in the reflection reflection Mm. of another doctor's glasses. And then immediately it just goes to, like, carnage and chaos. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think that's probably where the a lot of the horror comes from is like a lot of quick cuts, a lot of just like these really cool arms, which also I know they did a lot of practical work with puppets. the arms, puppets, yeah, flying around, uh, every actor giving their best screams, um, and just like getting absolutely like uh, like actually killed, like it's very violent. Like dude gets electrocuted, there's no he's blood or minimal blood. One person gets blood splattered on their face. That's it. And the one woman is dragged across the floor while digging her nails into the, the floor. Fingernail the fingernail scene. Yeah, I dragged sure into the darkness. It was dragged through clay, which is how they like. Oh, that's super cool. Make the marks on the floor, but yeah, yeah. We see that visual. We hear the sound of her nails on the floor. They also do this really cool thing with using shadows. So like, there is so much going on that like the foregrounds of the shot are kind of messy, but then in the background of the shot, we can see the shadows of people being picked up, slapped, or yep. thrown. It's like a nope with the shadows. Shadows are so important. It's a good way to show things without spending the money to make it look cool. So, yeah, I think that was very masterful. I think something else that's really fun is there's no music in this scene. It just screams. I mean, like, that's what it would be if there's all this shit going on in a hospital surgery room. Like, there's not always music playing in surgery. Yeah. Um, Same with the T-Rex scene in Jurassic mm -hmm. Park. I think the use of sound is very deliberate. And in this case, it's all the clanging and the screaming. It's has not the tension is not built by music because that would feel artificial here and then we get a fun evil dead reference with the little chainsaw that the doctor picks up which is maybe a moment of oh maybe he's gonna get out of this and then immediately all four arms turn on him and the shot ends with camera angles from all four arms just flying in at this dude as he screams. And we also have this moment of them trying to chainsaw one of the arms and you learn really early on in this scene and in the movie these arms are pretty indestructible. A chainsaw is not going to, yeah. not going to get them. Nope. So it's like <laughs> this feeling of helplessness. Yes, yeah. and and I think that that jumps into why this scene is in here as a horror, and I think it's to set up Doc Ock as a bigger threat than we already thought. Yes, right, and I think it's also to really take him into the villain or supervillain category because, like, prior to that, he had only like robbed a bank, and now he's a murderer. Right, and it, like I think builds up that character to be like, hey, he is a villain. I know he gets his he redemption at the end. He hasn't robbed a bank yet, by the way. Oh, the timing. You're wrong. right at the timing. Nothing wrong. This is, is the happened. first thing. Wow, he just kills people right off the bat. Well, I guess the arms kill people. Yes, but you're yeah, right. I it think it's the, the most right brilliant setup of a threat in any superhero movie. Frankly, well, it's the best superhero movie. So yeah, I'd hope. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, I think this scene being particularly horrific does serve a really important purpose within the context of the movie, like you said. All right, and that's really our only big horror scene in that movie. There are definitely, like, moments of that that you can oh, feel the, throughout. Oh, the glass hitting his wife is really scary as wife. a kid. Yeah, Alfred Molina's wife. Oh, her. Yeah, don't yeah. tell me what I'm wrong. I love Sorry. this movie, right? I thought you were The glass that kills her. With, like... MJ. Oh, when she almost gets pulled into the sun? That's cool. That's scary, too. All right, no, I got nothing else to say about this movie. Let's do the last one. 
The last movie, I'm sure a lot less people have seen. It is Nocturnal can we, Animals. Can we do this on our uh, Please Watch This Movie Monday? Or Movie Rec Monday? Well, this isn't a horror, so we will not be doing it for Movie Rec Monday. But this scene truly might be more horrific than most horror movies. The scene we're going to talk about. It's the movie as a whole. very, very, very uncomfortable. It's real life horror. So, Nocturnal, Nocturnal Animals is a 2016 psychological thriller written, produced, and directed by Tom Ford. Yes, you heard me. Fashions Tom Ford. <laughs> the Tom Ford. Which I only know him as a director. Well. <laughs> He's got two movies. I knew his name and I was like, wait, that Tom Ford? The film stars Amy Adams, Jake Gyllenhaal, Michael Shannon, Aaron Taylor Johnson, Isla Fisher, etc. There's a huge cast in this movie. And this movie was during Amy Adams' hot streak because she was on like a... 10 movie hot streak and now she's on a Ten cold movie streak. streak. <laughs> yeah. So the plot follows an art gallery owner as she reads the new novel written by her first husband and begins to see the similarities between it and their former relationship. So this movie goes back and forth between present time and her reading the novel and the plot of the novel. So the scene we're going to be talking story. about, yes, the scene we're going to be talking about is a scene from the novel. But it's acted out, so you see it on screen. Yes. So, it's the first main scene in the novel. After being forced off the road by three men, Ray, Turk, and Lou, Tony is powerless to stop Ray and Turk from kidnapping his wife, Laura, and their daughter, India, leaving him with Lou, who forces him to drive Ray's car to the end of the road, where he's thrown out of the car and abandoned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and... Uh, so <laughs> the fear from this all comes from feeling helpless to a bunch of people that are trying to hurt you and your family. And it really, really works because they basically don't have cell service. They're out somewhere they don't know. They get run off the road by these like pieces of shit. And then Jake Gyllenhaal is just stuck, like trying to one, protect himself, like two, protect his family that can pretty easily be overpowered by them. Cause he's got like a young daughter with him. And, you have Aaron Taylor Johnson probably giving the best performance of his career as yes. Ray, who's the leader of this. Uh, he won a Golden Globe for it. But yeah, he reasonable. I was kind of disappointed he wasn't up for an Oscar, honestly. I he think he's really good. He is horrifying in this like dirt bag. You can't really tell if he's a threat yet or not. Similar to... Like, is he just an, an idiot asshole? Or is like he, a yeah. Or is he being doing murderer. a prank? Or is he like actually a threat? And, like, you do have that feeling, and so it's hard to make a decision. Like, is, Jake Gyllenhaal isn't going to just, like, try to kick the shit out of these dudes because he's one versus three, but also is it the right call to mm -hmm. do it? Um, and then he basically, by indecision, ends up letting his family get kidnapped by them. And then, yeah, it doesn't go well from there. But, of course, I mean, like, framing it like that or saying it like that, like, his indecision leads to that i mean i wouldn't put the blame on him in any way i, I wouldn't either that's all victim but that's how he sees it in the context and that's, of the novel. that's also the fear of the real life fear of you would be stuck do i run and abandon my family do i fight and These probably three die guys like yes. i'm not gonna win yes they're or, still gonna hurt or me do i my do i just try to stay quiet and appease them long enough for them to let us go and in this situation he fights a little bit but mostly stays quiet and tries to appease them thinking that they aren't deadly enough to do anything until they actually do something. And now that's like the fear is that this, this helplessness. 
And boy, oh boy, while watching it, do I feel like helpless. I feel like I'm right there alongside him. Mm-hmm. The space is incredibly isolating. They've already kind of set up that it's the middle of nowhere. They've shown them driving on the road. They're one of the only cars on the road. It's They say we're in the middle of nowhere, Texas. Like Matt said, it's dark. We set up before this happens. We've already set up that there is no service. They pull over and not a single person drives by except for a single cop who just who blows right by. Blows right by so and it's does a, not stop. It's a great moment of like levity to then just like rip your, your heart out. But it, because it's so isolating, it also then like makes you as the audience member feel isolated. Like there is no call for help. There is no one to help them. You're in it alone and whatever you can do with what you have on your person or your person is what you're going to have to face this situation with. There is obviously this implication throughout the scene, like just to put it in the always sunny terms, the implication of what these men might do to his wife and daughter, because they keep talking about how attractive they are, but then saying things like shut your bitch up. Things like that. Control your women. Control your women. Yep. And this scene just goes on and on and on. It is like real paced of like how this would go in real life. The scene is over 13 minutes long. I timed it. The scene begins of them pulling over begins around 17 minutes and they've already been kind of being fucked with on the road for like a minute or two before that and the scene around 30 minutes is where his family is pulled away so you still don't have the resolution yet Mm -hmm. like the entirety of the scene by the time jake gyllenhaal is left on the side of the road where he thinks he's being driven to where maybe his wife and daughter are by the time he's left on the side of the road This scene has been going on for 20 minutes. And there's something about that, that it just keeps going and going and going. The suspense of that is horrifying and it's real and it sits with you and it hurts. Like it physically hurts. It really puts you, I think, in Jake Gyllenhaal's shoes or his character's shoes, like I I said before. And I think it is that question where you do the whole time. There's like um, a breathing to it of... I feel like they're not going to do anything bad to they're going to kill all of us to, okay, no, they're just weird and everything's safe. And then to no, we're going to die again. Mm-hmm. And it's like this back and forth that kind of never, you have a breath and then all of a sudden you're being held underwater again. Um, and yeah, I think that that really adds to the like tension and really allows you to be like, put in the scene it's also lit phenomenally it is and I wanted, very very well I, I always have to talk about the lighting and that helps because it helps with the isolation it's dark they're basically just lit by the cars mm-hmm. um yeah there's lighting like specifically with the headlights, headlights of the car yep i also yeah. like the way silence is used in this because there is a lot of like noise and screaming towards the end when the his wife and daughter are driven away and they're screaming and then it cuts to silence and it cuts in and out between their screaming and silence and i think that really like punctuates 
what's happening and the fear for him and the, the shock, right? Like, this is horrifying and scary, and it's the screaming, but also then he's in shock, which is the silence. And it also cuts, it cuts kind of fast back and forth between them and him, because it's just as much about their reaction to being kidnapped as much as his in the light of, like, what just happened and how this impacts him and his psyche and what he feels he could or could not have done. I was looking on Reddit and someone said, this is one of the scariest movies of all time to me because it can happen to you. And another comment said, this scene is scarier than most actual horror movies, if you ask me. It, yeah, it's a different type of fear, but for sure, I think it's because it's, it's very real. It feels like something that could happen and like, does happen to people it does yeah um and i think it also aaron taylor johnson is just giving this performance of this absolute horrific dirt bag that really sells it Mm -hmm. you you have to give a lot of credit to every person in this scene all the actors too you also have jake gyllenhaal's character's daughter like constantly arguing with them and you just want to be like shut up shut up like they clearly are unhinged like just be quiet maybe they will like let us go and she just like won't shut her mouth but it's also yeah. not her fault. It's not her. No, like, I'm not. Did I say I was blaming way? her? I didn't I say I was blaming her. I, know, I just more mean like, it. It adds to the tension because, and I think that is part of it. Is that and I said that before is like he probably feels responsible to protect his family. It would be less scary if it was just him that got pulled over 100%, by these three guys. Yeah. It's the fact that now he feels responsible to protect his wife and child who are also being like harassed by these men and basically feeling just powerless mm-hmm. to that. And that maybe that's where the real fear comes from is the fear of like powerless powerlessness. And I think there's always something scarier, honestly, about the threat being a person and not an animal, because an animal, you know, like their instincts are to to eat, to hunt, to reproduce and to fuck. But with people, you don't know what the fuck is going on inside that mm-hmm. head. We, as human beings, are so nuanced and confusing and scary. I just think that the the enemy and the villain here, just being a deranged person. Whew. Yeah. Well, I don't have much more to say about it. Everyone should watch this movie, though. It's really cool. Tom Ford killed it. Uh, I don't very, know anyone very... else who has seen this movie. It's one of my favorites. why I made you watch this yeah, movie with I, me. It quickly became like probably a top ten movie for I me. I think it's in my top ten... It has such a good ending. <laughs> it makes me so happy. If you can sit through this scene, and I know this is a hard one, but if you feel like you could sit through this scene, the rest of the movie is very much worth your time. Um, the way it layers with the frame story is really fun. I don't want to say any, anything else. It's, it'll be a spoiler. Yeah, go go watch it. Really. It's a cool movie. Where where, uh, where can you watch it? Anywhere? We rented it for like three dollars. Oh, we paid for it. Hell yeah! Yeah. Look at how good we are. All right, it's worth it. I feel weird not talking about themes, so speed round on all the themes of these movies. Jurassic Park's about oh being scared of fatherhood and then not being scared of fatherhood and having a parent and settling down. Uh, And playing God. And yeah, well that that's yeah. I'm talking about. I'm gonna do one theme. Okay. Yeah, don't play God. Rich people are bad. That's another thing. Um, (laughs) There's there's like a lot of themes in Jurassic Park. This supposed to be speedy. Uh, Spider-Man 2 is the best superhero movie because you learn that in order to be the true hero, you have to sacrifice, like, parts of your life, right? He has to sacrifice. He has to learn that lesson. But, like, that doesn't mean that his life is over, right? 
But it oh. means he has to sacrifice for the greater good, oh, right? Oh, no. This just made me feel, like, horrible about my job choices. Because I'm always saying <laughs> I want to do, like, good things and, like, be a good person. But apparently I have to... It's saying I have to... I have to sacrifice part of well, myself. You're, he's to actually be. a superhero, so like I also I'm think I would have a more that. I think I'd have a more <laughs> nuanced reading of it if I watched it. But I also think he does derive happiness from what he does. I need to watch it again so I can give you a better one. And the Nocturnal Animals is revenge is badass, but also bad. <laughs> no, 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 no. What are you talking about? Revenge is good. That's the answer. But also not. <laughs> No, uh, uh, if you want a, um, if you want us to actually do a Spider-Man tour, Jurassic Park, or Nocturnal Animals episode, let us know because I'll do any of them. We definitely have a lot more movies that we could play with that have horror scenes, but aren't yeah. horror. Like King Kong is a good one. True. I also am thinking I'm botching the Spider-Man two Terminator. themes because it's definitely more nuanced than I just tried to speedily, speedily. That's a word. Yeah, do it. That movie is nuanced. That's it's what extremely makes it nuanced. A That's why it's really superhero good. Superhero movie, than but it most. is so like that whole like the the scene where he, I mean, when he stops being Spider Man, then has to like choose to give up like what he thinks would be his happiness to come back. But then in the end, he's still rewarded. Mantis he is gets what you the get reward. For not preparing at all. Why? <laughs> you botch it. I'm not botching it. He is rewarded. You're the one who just said I botched no, the themes. No, I, I, I had I had to speedily uh, speed. I don't I don't like saying that word. I had to do them fast. All right, that's all I got. Well, hope you enjoyed our discussion of some horror and not horror movies. I hope our non-horror girlies were able to listen to this one. I'm going to give a shout out, Miranda, because you better have listened to this one. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. She's afraid of horror movies. She's afraid of all movies. That's true. I don't think she can sit through these either. Nocturnal Animals (laughs) would actually be the scariest movie for her. Yeah. Have fun. Alright. Thanks for listening, buddies. Thank you for listening to Horror Hour with the Hannas. Make sure to listen to future episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, or wherever you can find podcasts. You can follow us at Horror Hour with the Hannas on TikTok and Instagram for more content. If you like the podcast, please follow and leave a review on your favorite podcasting app. Happy hauntings!